You're listening to Comedy Central. August 14, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Tonight, former White House aide and current White House enemy, Omarosa Manigold Newman is here, everybody! Yeah, I, uh... I heard she's been doing some interesting stuff lately, and I can't wait to hear about it. Speaking of which, let's get to today's headlines. This week, Omarosa has been burning up the news, promoting her new book, which claims President Trump is unhinged. And last night, he helped make her case. President Trump says former White House aide Amoroso Manigault Newman lied when she called him a racist who was heard using the N-word on tape. In a late night tweet, the president writing, the show's creator Mark Burnett just called to say there are no tapes of The Apprentice where I use such a terrible and disgusting word. I don't have that word in my vocabulary and never have. Now, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) It's weird for Trump to say he's never said the N-word and also say Mark Burnett called him to reassure him that there's no tape of him (laughs) saying the N-word. It's not a call you need to get if you've never said the word. (laughs) Like, what other things has Mark Burnett called Trump to tell him he didn't do? He's like, Mark Burnett called me last night to tell me I didn't do 9-11, folks. (laughs) So suck it, Bin Laden. So today, it fell to White House spokesperson Sarah Huckabee Sanders to assure the public that President Trump has never said the N-word on tape. And considering that Sarah Sanders will usually lie about anything to cover for her boss, her answer was surprisingly shifty. Can you stand at the podium and guarantee the American people they'll never hear Donald Trump utter the N-word on a recording in any context? Uh, I can't guarantee uh, anything, but I can tell you that the president addressed this question directly. I can tell you that I've never heard it. Just to be clear, you can't guarantee it. Look, I haven't been in every single room. She makes it sound like every time she leaves the room, then Trump says it, then she has to run back. Are you saying that word? (laughs) Moving on. It's been said that children are the future. Well, turns out they want the present too. And meet this 14-year-old boy. He is running for governor of Vermont. High school freshman Ethan Sonneborn is running as a Democrat. He is allowed to run, folks. He's taking advantage of the state law that does not set a minimum age to run for governor. You just need permission from your parents. Current events propelled him into the race. I had a culmination of frustration with politics as usual. Politics as usual? You mean since you learned how to read seven years ago? I mean, look, little man's not wrong, but most of his life, he's had a black president. You realize that, right? And by the way, this is the future of politics. Like, everyone will have to run when they're 14 before they get caught up in any scandals. I mean... (laughs) Like, what dirt are you gonna dig up on this kid that he once dated a 13-year-old? Yeah, that was last year. That was last year. (laughs) And personally, I don't think there's a problem in having a child as governor. I mean, we already have one in the White House. (laughs) In other news, while kids are acting like adults, adults are acting like idiots. 
And the LA Times reports on a police investigation of a video showing someone just popping a hippo. The video shows a man hop over a barrier, then quickly slap a four-year-old hippo. The hippo's name is Rosie before running away. Detectives found out last week after the video started circulating online. Now they're calling this trespassing since Rosie does not appear to be injured. Okay, this was a little bit funny, but also very dangerous. Those could have been hungry, hungry hippos. But seriously, the police are now looking for this guy. And personally, I don't think he should go to jail for this. I think jail's already overcrowded. I think what they should do is send the hippo to his house <laughs> and see how he likes it. Yeah, that's what they should do. Although it would be funny if it backfired and the hippo came out of his house crying and was like, why did you send me in there? He slapped my ass again. <laughs> you humans are heartless. All right, that's it for today's headlines. Let's move on. Let's talk about something fun for a change. Today, is National Creamsicle Day. Hooray! Yeah. And uh, don't you guys wanna celebrate with a creamsicle right now? Yeah, you do? Well, if you all look under your seats, you'll see that they all melted. I'm sorry, I put them out too early. I didn't know they were frozen. Yeah, you guys should have been here yesterday for National Left-Handers Day. That surprise did not melt. <laughs> here to help me celebrate National Creamsicle Day is our very own Dulce Sloan, everybody! Dulce. What's up? You know, one thing I love about America is that every day is a fun national something day. Like, what's your favorite national day? I think mine is national. I don't give a shit about national days. What, what day is that, Dulce? It's every day. Don't you know they make these days up just to sell you shit? Well, just, but just last week, Dulce, there was um, Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Oh, so you saying that black women getting equal pay is the same as creamsicle day? No, 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 I, I, wasn't, I wasn't saying that. What I, you know what, let's move on. All right, let's move on. No, 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 no. Let's talk about black women's equal pay. You guys want to talk about black women's equal pay? Okay, okay, but first, but first, let's talk about creamsicles. What? Because I heard that sometimes when you mention products on TV, they send you free samples. Oh, that would be great. If someone out there owns equal pay, send me some. <laughs> Trevor, on average, it takes black women 20 months to make what a white man earns in 12. With that ratio, if you put Olivia Pope on 24, it would have to be called 39. <laughs> black women deserve equal pay because being a black woman is also expensive. I gotta pay for products for my natural hair. I gotta pay for products for my fake hair. I mean, I wish I could use one of those three-in-one shampoo, conditioners, and body washes, but I can't wash my hair with the same thing I wash my ass with. <laughs> I mean, isn't, something, isn't that something we should all believe? And I, like, I, just two shampoo, just two things. Just get two things. I, I, think, I think it's also important for us to remember, Dulce, that uh, paying black women equally is right because it also allows them to buy more creamsicles. If you don't shut up about these damn creamsicles! <laughs> shut up about these creamsicles, man. Look, America, black women need to be paid more than anybody. Wait, wait, wait. I that, thought... that, huh? No! Wait, wait, wait. I thought this Why was... Why are you not clapping? Huh? I thought this was about equality. I changed my mind. Now I want more. Because we do so much for America. We keep child molesters out of office. We literally gave y'all royalty. And what would you do without black woman memes? All you'd have is that blinking white dude. 
All I'm saying is, pay us what we're owed. Now, if you'll excuse me, it's National Creamsicle Day. <laughs> Don't say Sloan, everybody. We'll be right back. Donald Trump, please, please hold your applause. Hold your applause. <laughs> you may not know this, but before Trump became well-known for making George Bush look really good, <laughs> the Donald was world-famous for his reality show, The Apprentice. In fact, at its peak, the show was so popular that they made a version of it in more than 30 countries around the globe. The Apprentice Asia. You're fired. For that reason, Sarah Jane, you're fired. You're fired. It's time to go home. You are dismissed. <laughs> okay, I feel like that last guy didn't get the memo. Uh, <laughs> you can't just change the catchphrase. It's you're fired, not okay, go home, you're dismissed. <laughs> That's what makes the show successful. It wouldn't be the same if 007 was just like, the name's James Bond, James Bond. <laughs> no, the catchphrase. The point is, the Apprentice was a successful format that Trump pioneered, which then spread around the world. And it seems like the same thing is starting to happen with his presidency. People are taking what Trump has done in the US and they're rebooting it in different countries, right? Take Pakistan, the nuclear power with a population of 200 million people. They just elected a new prime minister and his name is Imran Khan. And I'll play you a bit of his backstory and you tell me who he reminds you of. Imran Khan is a man of wealth, and privilege. He was educated at Oxford. He was known for his good looks and playboy lifestyle. Swashbuckling cricketer who was every girl's dream man in the 70s and 80s. What is it with you that <laughs> produces this fantastic urge for girls to beat a path to your door? I don't know whether the girls consider it a lair or anything. I've, um, I mean, I've just tried to make it as comfortable for myself as possible. Okay, are you seeing what I'm seeing? <laughs> Tell me that's not the Pakistani Trump Tower. <laughs> like, I feel like my eyes just got HPV. <laughs> and, and even when you listen to the news coverage of Imran Khan, they may as well be describing an even more tan version of President Trump. Zero experience in government, but he promises a new Pakistan. Khan has widened his appeal by casting himself as a populist. Imran Khan represents a strong, muscular nationalism. He's adopted conservative positions on women's rights issues. He's able to uh, contradict himself uh, uh, along the same speech. It's amazing how that used to be considered a career ender, but now pundits talk about it like it's a skill. They're like, well, you know, he's able to contradict himself in the same speech, which is really good and really bad. <laughs> And it turns out, the more you look, the more you realize these similarities have spanned their entire lives, right? When Trump was doing Pizza Hut ads, Khan was in ads for Pepsi. Trump had three marriages in the tabloids, so did Khan. Trump thinks Islam is bad, Khan lives in Islamabad. I should have stopped while I was ahead, but the rhythm kept me going. In fact, in fact, these guys are so alike that shortly before he was elected, Khan was also embroiled in a sexual harassment scandal. And just like Trump, he got through it. And for some strange reason, Billy Bush got fired again. <laughs> Poor Billy, he was just trying to start a new life. And now it would be one thing if the two leaders were just the same, but what's mind blowing is that they used the same casting director to find their supporters. 
Donald Trump's rowdy campaign rallies getting increasingly violent. His followers are very, very young, but they're known for being very rude and very disruptive. There are thousands of people inside this hangar just to catch a glimpse of Donald Trump. Thousands of Pakistanis are waiting for their hero, Imran Khan. A rock star reception for Donald Trump. Pulling his private plane right into his Arizona rally. Like a rock god arriving at a sellout concert. Imran's flyover whips them into a frenzy. I love how people are impressed by someone in an aircraft, like it's the 1920s. Just like, look, he's up in the sky like a bird. He should be our leader. <laughs> and now look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Imran Khan is the brown Trump, right? Although that would be funny. Like if Trump just woke up and was brown, that would, <laughs> I think that would be a great movie. It would just be him building a wall to protect us from himself. <laughs> He'd just be like, We've got to build a wall because I'm coming. <laughs> no, 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 look, I'm not saying Imran Khan is the brown Trump. I'm saying that Imran Khan is one of many leaders around the world who is following the successful format of the hit show called the Trump presidency, including apparently using the same writers. People love me. And you know what? I've been very successful. Everybody loves me. Someone like me, who is blessed with everything, who has everything, who doesn't need anything, and has so much love from these people. That system is set up so that the crooked politicians can make sure they get somebody in that's not, you know, part of what we're doing. But we are going to fight the parties of status quo. These crooked politicians, the alliance of the crooked, this crooked mafia. I'm not gonna lie, it sounds a bit better hearing Trump's phrases with Bollywood music in the background. <laughs> Just has a nice string to build a wall. <laughs> so look, so look. I don't know if Prime Minister Khan will turn out exactly like President Trump. All I'm saying is, if you were planning to move to Pakistan to escape Trump, you might want to pick someplace else. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Daily Show. My guest tonight served 11 months in the Trump White House before she was fired from her role as Director of Communications for the Office of Public Liaison. Now, she's out with a new book, Unhinged, an insider's account of the Trump White House. Please welcome Omarosa Manigault Newman. <laughs> welcome to the show. Well, I gotta get all this jelly up in this chair now. <laughs> You are one of the few people who I would say has managed to out-Trump Trump. <laughs> You've created a firestorm. You are covering the news. He's tweeting incessantly about you. Let's go in on the book first before we get into the recordings. So, Unhinged, an insider's account of the President Trump White House. Now, but I've read through the book. Before we get into it, can I apologize to you first? What are you apologizing for? I have to tell the audience that I was actually supposed to be on the show when I was in the administration, but the press secretary canceled it. And so I just want to apologize to you because I was oh. looking forward to it. Oh, no, you're here now. That's Good. all that I'm matters. Here now. Yeah, you're here now. <laughs> you're here now. And to be fair to you, I should warn you, this is being recorded. Um, <laughs> the... <laughs> the book that you wrote, is a book of your account from being inside the White House. Yes. Now, if I had read this book and knew nothing about the Trump administration, I would say that 
all of it is a lie. I would say that all of it is wildly untrue just because of the stories that are so extreme. But because of what we've experienced and what we've learned about the White House, I'm reading the book going like, uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> and uh-huh, uh-huh. Not, honestly, not in a bad way, but it doesn't seem like there's anything new in the book. So why, why write it? What did you think this book would add to the conversation we have about Donald Trump? When you say there's nothing new in the book, it's not just about Donald Trump. It right. also talked about my childhood. I talked about the difficulty going through my father's murder, my brother's murder, and a lot of things like my family surviving a house fire that killed my cousin. Right. So those are things that I've never talked about publicly. So there are actually new things in the book. Right, new things in the book about yourself, but Unhinged, I guess, gives people an insider's accounts of the Trump White House. I mean, yes. that's, that's what the book talks about. And when you came out with this book, everyone said, look, Omarosa, what are you going to tell us? Nothing new, really. There are a few accounts that the White House has disputed here. Um, did you expect that when you wrote the book? Oh, absolutely, because they lie to the American people every single day. So it doesn't surprise me that when they're faced with the truth, they'll push back. Right. And what's interesting is the question that immediately springs to mind when you say that is you were part of an organization and a team that lied to the American people oh, every day. I'm, unfortunately, and I regret that, that I was totally complicit, but I didn't go in thinking we were going to lie. In fact, when I sat through my first briefing with Sean Spicer, when he said that this was the biggest inauguration in the history ever, right. I was sitting there going, well, do I have lying eyes or is he lying? And, <laughs> because everyone knows it wasn't the biggest. And so from the beginning, it got really, really bizarre. But I tried to stay focused on my portfolio, which right. was helping the African-American community. Now, we, we, we'll get to that in a second. But, yeah. but what's interesting is you talk about in the book how you managed to create a distinction in your mind between Donald Trump pre-presidency and Donald Trump post. Mm -hmm. So you genuinely believe that the Donald Trump you knew from The Apprentice and from the time you'd spent together would somehow change once he moved into the White House, that he would stop telling white lies or, uh, you know, leaving out truths or omissions. You genuinely believe that knowing him. I hope that he would rise to the occasion. I mean, to the greatest honor that any right. person can have. Only 45 people have ever sat in that office. I thought that he could actually rise to the occasion of being presidential. And boy, was I wrong. I mean, every single day, he dismantles the dignity of that office. When you were working with him, you, you, you just spoke to the fact that you had what you took really seriously as a role in the administration. Everyone talks about what your role is. What did you believe your role was? My, my role had two folds. Um, I was director of communication for the Office of Public Liaison, which means that I was a spokesperson for diverse communities. But there was not anyone appointed to work with the African-American community or on those issues. And so I took that on as well. They told me they would appoint someone. I think President Obama had 15 or 16 people appointed to that office. Right. We had no one. So I was doing double duty in the communication shop and taking on the issues that were so important to the black community. And when you look at President Trump's time in office now, do you feel like your time made an impact? Oh, it did. I, I particularly remember uh, flying to Haiti for the inauguration of the president there and the commitments that we made during the community, uh, during our campaign, to help that particular community that's still rebuilding. And when I went there and they saw a representative that looked like me, a person of color, they were so excited and they actually believed that this community, that this administration was going to help that community. Right. When we did all the work we did for the HBC community, um, and we brought the students, 100 HBCU All-Stars, to the White House. And to see the look on the faces of the students, that made it worthwhile. 
when we traveled to African-American historical museums and I tried to educate him, I knew that if I could just get him to the truth, then maybe he could accept it or maybe it would absorb in. But I thought the work was incredibly important. He didn't take it very seriously. So it's interesting that you say you thought that he would accept the truth. Which truth? The truth is that we have a big responsibility to actually fulfill all of the campaign promises that we made. In fact, I made a long list, as you'll see in the book, of all the things he said he would do. Mm -hmm. For instance, Chicago. He said he would help to reduce the violence in Chicago. And as we know, having seen 600 murders over this weekend, that he has done nothing and he has refused to even travel to Chicago. We said that we would help the people of Flint to get clean water. And as we know, there's still no clean water there. Those were the well, things I, I that... Believe, I, I believe the water is of an acceptable standard now, but maybe they, some people say that not enough was done. But what I've read is that... If you still have to boil your water, it's not acceptable in this country. It's not acceptable right. that there's still brown water coming out of the spigots, and we should have done better. We should have done better by Puerto Rico, and we have not. And there were a lot of things that he made commitments to that he just did not fulfill. Did you ever feel like there was a disconnect between what you were trying to do in the White House and how the African-American community perceived you in, in the country? Because I, I don't know if, if you, you know, read opinions about yourself online or see what people talk about on the news. And it's always selective, don't get me wrong. Uh -huh. But, you know, there were many people who said, like, oh, Omarosa has stopped representing black people. She's there representing Omarosa. Did you feel like there was a disconnect between yourself and the African-American community? Well, first of all, Trevor, the African-American community is not a monolith. True. We don't have just group think. We don't all group think alike. And so there were those who felt like there should be no African-Americans at the table. But I thought that we shouldn't have people making decisions about us without us. And so there are people who felt like you shouldn't be there, walk away. And there were people who said, we need a seat at the table. We need someone negotiating these deals for us. And so, yes, there was this big dichotomy between people's perceptions of me and what I should be doing right. and people rooting for me and people who were not cheering for me. So if we, if we take a step back and we look at this journey that you went on with the White House, you know, I will say in your defense, Ivanka has said a similar thing in that there's many things she wanted Trump to do and he hasn't done. There's people who've said Trump takes his own course and he yes. may or may not listen to his advisors. You are working in this White House and you watch a president who says disparaging things about Mexicans, about Muslims, about uh, NFL players being sons of bitches, about Africans from shithole countries. As this is unfolding, and I know you talk about it in the book. Oh, I do. But as this is unfolding, is there, is there a breaking point for you, or do you feel like you, you still have an opportunity to make a change? Well, there were quite a few breaking points, as you'll see in Unhinged, and every single time he said something. At first, I thought, is he um, doing this intentionally? And then when I realized that he was mentally impaired, that he was declining, then I thought that I... <laughs> it would be funny if it wasn't true. Um, I thought, okay, I'll find someone to do the work. I'll find someone to replace me, another African-American advisor, so that there wouldn't be a void, and then I'll leave. But as of now, seven months later, there is still no African-American assistant to the president advising him on issues related to race, diversity, or the black community. It's interesting, though. You worked with um, Pastor Darren Scott, who mm -hmm. um, held a meeting with Trump and black pastors recently, and he said that Donald Trump is the most pro-black president of our lifetimes. And 
you, you, you worked with him, mm -hmm. and in some ways it seemed like you believed that in some way when you were in the administration. So what do you think has changed in you leaving? Is there something that leaving the White House gives you a perspective on that, like, would, if he left, would he change his tune as well, do you think? Well, first of all, I can't speak for Pastor Scott, but I can say that it's very hard to say that you are a pro-black president when you lock your only assistant to the president in the Situation Room for two hours with General John Kelly, who makes threats that says things can get ugly for you and there'll be damage to your reputation. It right. goes completely against the grain that you are pro-black when you would treat somebody who worked so hard for this administration that way. Let's talk about that. The recordings have been an interesting twist and conversation in and around this book. Yes. And you've said something that, that has really stuck with me, and that was, had you not made the recordings, nobody would believe you. Would you have believed me? No, I wouldn't have. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed you, genuinely, because I don't think I believe many of the people that come out of the White House, because you don't know what to believe. When you've been gaslighted to a point, you don't know what the truth is. Right. And so you made these recordings. But I would like to understand, before we get into the recordings themselves and how you made them, why did you feel you needed to make the recordings when you started making them? Well, I have to be very careful because as of today, Donald Trump has decided to sue me or to bring litigation against me to silence me and to not allow me to tell my story. So I will answer your question, but I don't want you to think I'm coy. I just have a whole host of attorneys who are telling me to not right. give Trump the ammunition. But I will say, um, as you said, this White House has a credibility issue. If I would have told you that General Kelly threatened me with court-martial, you would look at me and go, that's just another lie that the White House has told. I knew that I had to cover my back and document what I saw as an opportunity to kind of blow the whistle on a lot of the corruption going on in the White House. And I knew that I needed to document that corruption. Otherwise, people would not take it seriously. I've also noticed that you are not releasing all the recordings at once. Like, you're releasing all the singles, and we're waiting for the album. <laughs> So, is, is there a strategy behind this? Because it feels like, to me, you're saying something on TV, the Trump administration contradicts you, and then you release a tape that shows them to be lying, and then <laughs> you do the same thing over. Is that your long-term game plan? No, I'll be honest. When um, Katrina Pearson came out and made that long statement that she had never had any conversations related to the N-word tape, she never remembered talking to me, none of that happened. In fact, she said I was writing a script for a movie. I was sitting back going, Really? And I, I never intended to, um, to share that. I didn't even remember that I really had it. But when she was just so vehement that it never happened, right. I was like, it never happened? Not one conversation. And she went on and on. And so I did. I decided to share it, to expose her, Lynn Patton, Jason Miller, and the Trump campaign, because there was a lot of talk about this N-word tape that so many people are pursuing and that, you know, folks refused to release. And so, yes, I shared it, but I'm not trolling them. I just want them to know that everything that you see in Unhinged that's quoted can be verified, is documented, and corroborated. Right. Do, you, do you ever worry about yourself? I mean, that's, it's a very... Well, genuinely, this is, a, <laughs> this is a, an interesting position to be in, um, where you have recordings from inside the White House, the Situation Room, etc. Uh, nobody knows what conversations you have recorded, is there even a little piece of you that's worried about your safety? Trevor, I would say this. If you see me in a fight with a bear, pray for the bear.
the, um, the recordings that you have are extremely, extremely high quality. And I know that you don't want to tell anyone how you recorded these conversations, but would you consider endorsing the product <laughs> so that women out there in the workplace who want to record things, cause like these are some of the best recordings we've ever heard. Like ever, did you practice or was this just? You know I can't comment on the taste. <laughs> before, I, before I let you go, um, let's talk about the issue of racism and Donald Trump. In the book you say, when you first met with Donald Trump and you worked with him, you believed that he was racial and he was someone who, I guess, dealt in race, but you didn't think that he was racist. Yeah. When he brought up Obama's birth certificate and claimed that he was a secret Muslim from Kenya, et cetera. Did that not, did that not say to you that this man was someone who harbored racist views? Oh yeah, and I talk about in Unhinged when I confront him about the birther issue. The first thing he said is that Hillary Clinton and her campaign actually started the birther issue. And then he said, it's just politics and I'm just you know, doing this for political reasons. And so unlike most of America, I had a chance to take him to task on a lot of these issues. And I had a blind spot when it came to Donald Trump. As I explained to you, I met him back in 2003 when I was a young up and coming businesswoman. I wanted to lead one of his companies and you know he inspired me I wanted to be a billionaire I grew up in the Westlake projects and I wanted to be wealthy and that's who I thought I could aspire to be but boy has he been a great disappointment and because I did have this blind spot and I was blindly loyal and I look like the biggest dummy following this person because I didn't have that same perspective and sometimes you have to step back in order to get a clear view and I recognized that I was going down the wrong path with right. Trump now you're in a position where, like a TV show on CBS, you are the bad guy who's come to the other side and says, here's the inside information. So, <laughs> in your, in the, in wait, the, wait, 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 I'm the bad guy with the... Yeah, you know, like, the, like in those TV shows, like the bad guy's like, oh, I'm not working for them anymore, I help the FBI. <laughs> um, so, so I wanted to talk about... There's something, there's something in the ep epilogue that I found interesting because there, there are things we cannot deny about, about what you said. So for instance, just a few things. Uh, like um, uh, Penn tweeted today, another former Celebrity Apprentice contestant, and uh, he, he came out and he said, actually, I have heard Donald Trump saying disparaging comments, racially insensitive comments um, during the taping of The Apprentice. Did you feel that that in some way vindicates you? Well, I think it does because I know that there are others who experienced that with him and I'm glad that Penn is speaking up because I was kind of like that lone person, that lone voice, and now he is kind of validating what I've said. Right, and, and this is interesting. When you, you, in the epilogue, you give everyone a piece of advice and you talk about how the president is putting us in a, in, a, in a critical time in history. And what you say is, he thrives on the conflict, he likes the insults, mm -hmm. he loves fighting and mobilizing his base. Yes. So what is the one insight you can give us into Trump that isn't a scoop, but rather something in helping us understand somebody you've known for 15 years? So if you were going up against Donald Trump, not, as you are, but not really, <laughs> what would you suggest to people then? There's one way to shut Donald Trump down, and that is to just don't give him the oxygen. And the oxygen comes from the clicks, the likes, the shock, 
the discussions, like when he attacked LeBron James and everybody was just, oh my God. Donald Trump enjoyed every moment of that. He enjoyed every single person that was shocked by his abrasiveness, his attack on this African-American male athlete, which is his favorite go-to thing. He loved it and he thrived off of it. If you ignore him, then you starve him of the thing that he loves the most, and that is controversy and attention. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Unhinged is available now. Omarosa Manigold Newman, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.